What's up, everybody? And welcome back to the Ghost Code Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Keefe. Today's podcast is an interview with Candlebox frontman Kevin Martin. We talked to Kevin all about the anniversary of the Candlebox debut album back in 1993, which the band has been playing some of on tour. Their last record, 2016's Disappearing in Airplanes, looking back on his career, a fond remembrance of Woodstock 94, and much more. Check it out. Terrific talking to you about the current Candlebox tour. You guys are uh, in the thick of your UK tour dates, which is amazing. Congrats. Thank you very much. How's it been going? Uh, it's been really well, actually. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Um, it's nice to actually play something different and uh, for people we don't know, uh, that we haven't ever seen before you know, at States. It's you know, you get four or five people uh, per show that you've seen at the show, you know, today's prize, the day before, you've got to come around to see us. They're always the first ones in the venue and stuff, so it's actually, and not that there's anything wrong with that, it's just, you know, it's nice to, to, for somebody that you don't know, that doesn't know the band. <laughs> Right. And you guys are performing the entire 1993 Candlebox debut on this tour. Well, we, we are, we are. Over here, we're not playing Rain, because um, we're enjoying not playing the States. <laughs> oh, got you. Well, uh, the Brits are used to Rain, so no, they're not going to miss it. Exactly. And leave them wanting something for next time also. But uh, you guys have been uh, celebrating that album. You know, 25 years is no small feat uh, in the music business or anything. And the album has, you know, had a great lasting impact. Uh, what stands out to me looking back on it is uh, just kind of revisiting the record, getting ready for this interview is not just the hits, which were humongous at the time, but like the album's very deep. There's no filler. It's all awesome songs, which is pretty impressive for any debut, especially at that time in the world, you know? Oh, thanks, man. Appreciate that. Yeah. So, uh, uh, have you sort of in revisiting that material live? Have you sort of rediscovered anything in particular about that album or that time? Well, I think mostly for me, um, it all feels uh, very young. Uh, when we play these songs live, um, it takes me back to you know being a twenty-year-old kid, a twenty-one-year-old kid uh, writing the songs. Um, you know they, they've all kind of evolved into what they are over twenty-five years. I cover me's, you know, had three or four different uh, meanings to me. Uh, you know, over the past twenty-five years, and now it means you know something entirely different than when I wrote the song, which I thought interesting. Um, I've kind of attached myself to different parts of it. great take uh yeah like i said i think um that era of music was very special you guys came out of a very special scene and time in the world and just seemed like 
every every new band was like a real discovery. Kind of felt like the seventies uh, or certain parts of the eighties, where like every new band that came out was like, "Wow, this band is amazing. That band is amazing," and everyone had something different to offer. And Candlebox had something very special to offer, which I think is, you know, very telling that you guys still have like a very lasting following and impact. Well, we're lucky that. Thank you for that. Um, lucky that people still care what we have to say, you know, musically. Um, and, I, you know, I, I'd like to believe that it's the other five records that was recorded that keep them around as well. Um, but I do know where, you know, where the bread and butter is with this band and, and, and the importance of that first record for our career um, is something that uh, I've never taken for granted at all. Right on. I'll tell you that I really love your last record. I really love Disappearing in Airports uh, and uh, looking forward to hopefully some new music from you guys soon. Thanks, man. Yeah, we, uh, it's been interesting. The one thing I love about England um, is, and it's probably going to find its way into the record we're recording in August. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that some of this energy finds its way in. But, it, you know, it's such a... They just embrace music and their own music. You know, if you listen to um, Arctic Fire or, I mean, not Arctic Monkeys, um, not Arctic Fire, but Arctic Monkeys or stuff like that, it's, it's almost like soccer chants. You know, the songs, they, they kind of feel like everybody's, you know, at a soccer stadium and singing along the songs and chanting and, and hollering and stuff. And, and it, we were out last night at this pub and, and just listening to this, this kind of brick pop that's going on over the past 20 years. and. And I was like, you know, there's, just, there's so much freedom in this music that you don't find in American bands because we aren't raised this way. You know, we're not raised with large families that, you know, uh, I'm being general, you know, in the sense that they all love football or soccer, if you will. Uh, and they've, you know, they've been going to school since they're little kids. So when the favorite song comes on, everybody in the pub sings it. You know, it's not really an American thing. You find it in certain cities. Um, but it's not, it's just a different climate. It's a different, um, energy and it's a different environment. And I'm really hoping that, uh, a lot of what I'm experiencing over here finds its way into this record we're recording in August. Awesome, man. I kind of think back to what you just said earlier in our chat here, which is, you know, kind of reminds me that you kind of know your value when you play in front of, you know, strangers, your hometown, your home country audience knows you the best, but maybe you really learn about yourself when you expose your art to others, right? Yeah, well, you you realize how much you love what you're doing. I mean, I you know, I'm, I'm playing to, you know, sometimes 50 people a night over here. And, you know, I'm not used to that. Um, but it, the, the amazing thing about it is it's so worthwhile um, because it, I'm, I'm loving it. And I love I love who we are as a band. And uh, and, I, and these guys that I play with are, you know, are, are my best friends. And, and so I'm actually really enjoying playing these shows. So I guess I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I guess what I'm trying to say. Awesome. That's, it's refreshing to hear that because, you know, you get to this stage in a career sometimes and, you know, the hit song becomes kind of a noose and unpleasant and maybe you don't like your bandmates as much. So it's really great to hear somebody that really loves their band and is enjoying the, the time and the process, you know? 
one other thing, not to get too super nostalgic about things, but I have a personal memory I wanted to talk to you about, which is Woodstock 94 is now, you know, the 25th anniversary. And I guess there shall not be, there shall not be a Woodstock 4, unfortunately, because of uh, business things that we just found out about. But I distinctly remember you guys turning in one of the better performances of Woodstock 94. I was there and um, I remember, you know, it was sort of a pretty, again, magical time. But uh, do you have any distinct memories from that night or that show? Because it was pretty immense, right? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's massive. Like, you know, the, they wouldn't let any bands watch the other bands. So they wanted you to kind of be surprised when the stage turned because each day we would revolve and, and then you would, you know, come around and they'd introduce you and you'd play your show and all of a sudden you'd see 300,000 people. Um, you know, it was, it, it was very, it was a bit overwhelming at first. We had the largest crowd we played for at that point. It was with Metallica. It was like 50,000 people, I think, in, uh, I want to say in Las Vegas. Um, so we hadn't really experienced that kind of uh, um, mass uh, of, of music fans, if you will. And and the energy that, um, that was being put off by them was uh, incredible. I mean, you know, we were uh, second to play on a Friday night, uh, second to last, and Violent Gems were the last to play on our stage. And, you know, we also shared the stage with um, Live and Collective Soul and uh, several other bands. So, I mean, you know, I think the, the most you know, vivid memory I have is, is the stage turning around and 300,000 people screaming. Um, you know, the memories are of my cable being unplugged because I asked for a 100-foot cable and they gave me a 25-foot cable and, uh, you know, stuff like that, like stupid little things that happen. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's nothing like playing to 300,000 people. It's, it's shocking. I can imagine. Uh, I was it was shocking to be around that many people in the audience. I mean, it was great. I had never, and probably to this day, I have never experienced anything like it. And I've been to you know, thousands of concerts and hundreds of festivals, and uh, it was a very unique and special thing. And the '99 one wasn't as you know, just was different. You know, it was a different vibe. It wasn't the same. It was a little more corporate and less cool. And the, I feel like the '94 one certainly also was had some corporate stuff to it, but it felt more like keeping in the spirit of the original. 69 Woodstock and uh, like I took away from oh go ahead I think I'm sorry I just want to jump in on that I think that you know the the music at the time when Woodstock 94 happened was I think a lot more prolific um, than you know the music that uh, was on the the bands they put on the 99 not that the bands uh, you know played the 99 festival weren't good Um, it just seemed uh, you know things were spinning out so fast um, labels were signing, you know, everything they could for, you know, one song rather than an album sort of music. So you had a lot of, um, you know, really super successful bands play that festival that, uh, you know, probably should have um, not been on that festival, you know, um, just because it took away from the, the, the energy of of uh, what, what had happened in 94, which was just a very, you know, peaceful uh, event. Indeed, indeed. Uh, 
Yeah, it was weird. It was a trip, man. The both of them were a trip. I'm glad I went to both. I'm glad I got to see you guys in 94. Um, and I do think that it was a very interesting cultural musical time. The bands that have sort of, you know, obviously they were the big bands that headlined, but some of the other bands that kind of, you know, were there, you know, I think a Blind Melon and their performance, I think a King's X, I think a Green Day, Collective Soul you mentioned, even the Chili's kind of cemented themselves all that weekend, you know, it was kind of crazy. Yeah. They were huge, but they yeah. became even more huge after. And um, yeah. and obviously Aerosmith and Metallica and Nine Inch Nails were already going to be like, you know, mega, mega stars. And Aerosmith was already legends. But it was a fun time. I'm glad you guys yeah. were part of it. Um, thanks for sharing that. Um, so like you said, back in the studio in August. Um, and can we expect a record and, and hopefully some more tour dates in 2020? Is that the plan? Yeah, we'll release the record sometime, I think, in the fall. Uh, and then, yeah, just hit the road again. You know, we want to get back to Europe. Uh, we want to get back down to South America. Uh, you know, hopefully some Australia dates in the fall. Uh, you know, it's, I'm, I'm kind of deciding whether or not I want to wrap up my career, you know, um, in a nice little bow. It's... It's in the back of my mind, so I'm I'm fairly certain that I'm going to tour throughout 2020, but I don't know if I'm going to continue on after that. <laughs> you know, and I've said that I do the past, and uh, you know, to the to the chagrin of some of our fans, but you know, it's just I have a son and I have a wife, and I like being at home and I like being a part of their their lives. And as much as I love playing music and being a musician, um, it's not the ultimate for me anymore you know it, it doesn't uh it doesn't fulfill those spaces in my life that um that are, are important to me well, I hear that. And I think, you know, obviously it, it becomes kind of a hamster wheel in the music business, right? It still is in a lot of ways where there's a lot of pressure to tour, write, record, tour, repeat, rinse, repeat everything. And so I think it's really great that if you found kind of a good, you know, if, if after the next record, you decide to, call, you know, call it a day and not tour anymore, not, you know, you certainly can be proud of what you put down. And I think it's important to put family first and your personal life first. You see so many, so many of your peers are not here anymore and it's heartbreaking so uh, you know I'm glad good on you if, if that's you know your priority is you and your home life that's important man yeah thank you yeah I mean I, I think that there just comes a point where it, you know is this all really worth it you know I mean whatever I'm not making millions of dollars but I make a great living but you know it's it's yeah my, my family's are a hell of a lot more important to me than um, than music is now and, and you know that's I, I've had to come to terms with that. You know, music saved my life when I was a kid. It, it you know, it's given me a career, but um, yeah, it's not as important to me as it was. Well, again, fully understandable, man. And I'm thankful uh, for the music you've made and continue to make. And I am looking forward to a new Candlebox record in 2020. Again, love the last record. I definitely implore our listeners and readers to check out that record. It is a little underloved, in my opinion. I think it was pretty cool and it kind of <laughs> came in under the radar, you know? I think this Green Airport is probably the best record we ever made. And it's because there was so much freedom when we did it. We, we, we didn't limit ourselves. Um, we weren't trying to get signed. We weren't trying to, you know, get a record. We weren't trying to sell millions of records. We just wanted to make a record that we loved. And I think that's the same thing that we're going to be doing with uh, uh, this new album, you know, uh, Destination Half. 
that and they call it. I don't know. Um, which shouldn't be a destination, but I, you know, sometimes it's what it is for some people. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, do, I do think that you're right that people should be listening to Disappearing Airports because it's a great record. Killer, man. We'll make sure to link it in the uh, description here for the podcast. Thank you so much, Kevin, for spending some time with oh, the Ghost pleasure. Cult. And uh, good luck on the rest of the tour. And I can't wait to hear this new record from you, man. Good luck. Thanks, thanks man. Appreciate it. Thanks for checking out today's podcast. Follow, like, and subscribe wherever you hear these podcasts. Also, check out Ghost Cult Magazine on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And finally, check us out at ghostcultmag.com. We're out. Peace.